I was definitely someone who was definitely caught up in that right decision making. So, you know, even down to when I was going to college and university, it was thinking, what is the degree that people want me to take? What should I study that's going to get me the best job? And then when I started my career, it was what career will help me move forwards? And you know, what do people expect of me? And all of my goals and all of my ambitions were really tailored around how I thought life should be. And I often say, it's something I say in the book, is that should is like our biggest joy killer because as soon as we think we're doing something because we should, we've taken out any of our own choice and any of our own um, personal autonomy. Hey there, I'm Renee, a self-proclaimed shopaholic turned minimalist. In just three years, my family and I downsized our house, paid off debt, and I learned to make passive income online so I could work anytime, anywhere. We did all of this in pursuit of a life of more freedom, flexibility, and fun. And the crazy part is, the more I detached from my stuff, the more I was able to let go of pesky habits like people-pleasing, saying yes to everyone, and being who I thought I was supposed to be, rather than showing up authentically as who I am. That's why I want you to see the Unstuffed podcast not as a place for all things decluttering and organizing, but rather as a place where together we can unload it all. From donating those pants that no longer fit to bidding adieu to those relationships that have run their course, I want you to see our time together as a time where you can unwind, let go, come as you are, and there is no need to apologize for the mess. So let's shed some layers, drop some dead weight, and start living a little less stuffed. Welcome to the Unstuffed Podcast. Hey there, it's me, Renee. Welcome back to the Unstuffed Podcast. Today, I am so excited to share my guest star with you, Sophie Cliff, the author of the new book, Choose Joy. Relieve burnout, focus on your happiness, and infuse more joy into your everyday life. As someone who has actively worked to be happier and find more joy, I absolutely loved being able to dive into the conversation with Sophie, where we both share how our desire to live a more well-rounded, joyful life stemmed from some of our hardest times, how to practice joy in the everyday life, and how to find balance with self-care that doesn't feel like another thing added to your checklist. So without further ado, let's dive into today's talk. Sophie, hi, welcome to the podcast. Hello, thank you so much for inviting me to come and chat. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm so thankful to be able to. I am still right in the middle of your book, Choose Joy. I call it the joy book. So just because <laughs> it's at the joy, 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 right across yeah, the front of it. People say like, is it called joy, joy, joy? Or is it called choose joy? And I'm like, oh, so long as it's got joy in there, that's all that matters. Right, right. It, you get the gist of it, of yeah. what you're going to get in the book for sure. And I absolutely loved it. And I wanted to read to you it was like soon as I started reading, I got to a passage and it was just something like, oh, I felt this to my core. This book is going to be for me. Uh, do you care if I just quickly read a little blurb from it? Of course, of course. It's just right in the introduction, not even into the chapters yet, but 
It said, I believe that to be happy, to feel content with my life, I had to make all of the right decisions and meet society's expectations of me. I thought that if I just got a great job and traveled to the right places and made my life appear perfect, then something would click into place and my feelings would catch up. I believed that happiness existed in a future version of my life and that I just had to tick off the right goals to get there. But with every promotion or milestone achieved, I didn't feel any happier. Instead, I felt like I was moving further and further away from contentment and less confident that I'd ever get there. Mm-hmm. I was like, yeah, I've, I, I felt that exact same way. And you know, I know I've read through your book, but do you want to tell our listeners kind of what you did from there? Yeah. So I was definitely someone who was definitely caught up in that right decision making. So, you know, even down to when I was going to college and university, it was thinking, what is the degree that people want me to take? What should I study that's going to get me the best job? And then when I started my career, it was what career will help me move forwards? And, you know, what do people expect of me? And all of my goals and all of my ambitions were really tailored around how I thought life should be. And I often say, it's something I say in the book is that should is like our biggest joy killer, because as soon as we think we're doing something because we should, we've taken out any of our own choice and any of our own um, personal autonomy. But essentially for me, I found myself in that place in you know, 2016, where I had this life that looked really great on paper. I had a good job. I, you know, had a lovely home. We were traveling a lot. I was getting to do lots of cool things and I didn't feel happy at all. And I really beat myself up for that. I, you know, told myself I should be more grateful or I should be more content. And yet I didn't feel that way. And what that kickstarted for me was a bit of a process of, trying to peel back what would make me feel that way. And um, I write about in the book that there was a catalyst for that for me. I had a traumatic bereavement in 2016 that made me really realize with clarity. And, you know, we, we read these quotes like, you only live once and life is short and we scroll past them on Instagram. And I, you know, I used to read those things, but I only realized with clarity when I had that loss just how true it was, you know, this sense that life is not a dress rehearsal. We're not getting to do this again. And how we spend our time is really important. And that for me kickstarted a lot of soul searching. And, you know, I had some therapy around that time. I had some coaching. I did some, like, I read lots of books, listened to lots of podcasts. And for me, it was trying to come back to what does bring me joy? What does feel good? And almost rebuilding that relationship with myself because I'd lost it. I was so in the pursuit of what I thought would make me happy or what other people told me would make me happy that I didn't really have that internal barometer anymore. And I think that is the place where lots of people find ourselves because, and I often say we shouldn't beat ourselves up for finding ourselves there because there are billions of dollars spent every single day trying to convince us that we don't know ourselves well enough, that someone else knows best, that there is a routine that we can adopt, that there's a product we can buy, that there is a you know course that will give us the knowledge to help us know this stuff. And actually for me, what you know, choosing joy has looked like in my own life is peeling it back and, and learning to trust myself again and learning to listen to 
and tune into what joy looks like for me and what my definition of it is. I love that. And I just feel the tinglys all through my body when you say that, because I think we had a really similar journey in that sense that um, my dad passed away when I was 19 and he was 43. So, and it was just this realization, like, I would like, like you said, I knew or we're supposed to live our lives. But to me, that was like, party it up. You know, I was 19. So that was party hard, have fun, just always be chasing that, like those little bursts of joy. Right. And when he passed, it was like this realization of no, like that's, that's, that's all wrong. And unfortunately it didn't, I didn't just click and I shifted overnight that, you know, I wish that's how it happened, but it didn't. Um, but I talk a lot about my minimalist journey and say like where you said you were kind of starting to peel away to find out what you've been doing for other people. And that's what I started getting rid of anything that I realized, like I was wearing these outfits to try to look in a certain way. I was wearing this outfit to try to impress certain people. I bought this house to try to impress certain people. Um, and I started getting rid of anything that I had been doing to impress other people. So I just like, I, I absolutely love it because I don't think um, enough people are talking about finding that. Um, yeah. And I, I would love to hear, because for me, the shoulds, those um, I should do, I should do, they sneak in so sneakily. They're so underground that I don't even notice. Like I, I'll be doing something for a while and go, oh, shoot, this yeah. is something I think I should do. And I, I sometimes can't tell the difference between what I want to do and what I think I should do because it's so, like you said, just ingrained in everything. What did you do to kind of start filtering through the shoulds? How did you realize, you know, what you'd been doing in your life because you thought you should? Yeah. Yeah. First of all, I just want to say I'm so sorry for your loss. And I, I think it is, it's so true what you said that in retrospect, sometimes it's easy to think like, oh, it was an overnight thing and it's a catalyst and it changes things. In practice, that is rarely ever true because as you will know, that is such a messy and vulnerable and emotional time. And it takes us time to peel back those layers and and learn those lessons and put some of those things into practice. And that was definitely true for me as well. It wasn't like I woke up overnight and was like, I'm going to quit my job and make this change and, you know, get rid of all of these shoulds. It was a really slow and gradual process of realizing. And I think to your question there about how do we start to, to get to know the shoulds and how do we separate them from what we truly want? I think the first step and the most important thing for me and and what I see with my clients is that it's creating the space to actually just even check in with that in the first place. And I know when I look back on my sort of old life, I never paused to think, is this actually what I want? I would just think, okay, I've achieved that goal onto the next thing. I've got that thing onto the next thing. I never stopped and sort of thought, is, you know, is this job what I want? I was just thinking, okay, that's that promotion. What am I going to focus on next? Or is this like trip, a trip I even want to take? I just would, you know, take the lovely pictures for Instagram and, you know, share them and think this is, this is what I'm supposed to be doing in my twenties. This is how it should feel. And a big part for me of, I think what my loss sort of gave me was a sense of space because as I'm sure you'll know, those experiences open up a lot of 
time for reflection, essentially. You know, we could try to resist it and sometimes it doesn't come straight away, but we can't help but reflect on what does this all mean and what, like, how is this going to impact things? And for me, part of that slowing down through that grief process was being able to notice and think, you know, we have this trip booked and I'm not even looking forward to it. Why have we booked this? Or, you know, I've got, I'm going back to work in a few weeks and I'm dreading it. Why am I spending my time doing this? And I'm a big believer that we don't have to have some sort of trauma or catalyst to, to change these things. What we can do is almost replicate what those experiences give us. And for me, that space and that reflection and that checking in is an important point. And so I always encourage people to just start with noticing what does feel good and what feels a little bit sticky. You know, our bodies are really valuable resources that we have that we often forget about because we live so much in our brains and we are so into the habit of planning and thinking of the next thing and doing and being productive that I sometimes say to people, if we're trying to figure out if something is a should or a want, notice how it feels in your body. If it's a should, there's usually something like for me, it's that like my stomach gets tight when I think about like, oh, I should do that. Like it's, it's an uncom- a discomfort for other people. It might be, you know, raised shoulders. It might be just a sense of that doesn't feel quite right. But notice what signals our bodies and our brains are giving us. And also another thing that can help is to ask ourselves why. So, you know, there are certain things I find it, I'm sure you get this, um, you know, running your business. So often as a business owner, we absorb all of this noise about how life should be or what we should be doing or like how many times you should post on social media or what your website should look like. And whenever I catch myself sort of thinking like, oh, I need to sort that out or I need to do that thing. I try to just, I do the the body thing. How does it feel in my body? But then I also ask myself why. And as soon as I ask that question, that often opens up like, why do I want to do that thing? And it's the same is true in my personal life. You know, if I think, oh, I should book a holiday. Why? Well, it's because I've seen lots of other people like heading off to glamorous locations and I just feel a little bit cold today and I may be craving some sunshine, but (laughs) that doesn't mean I should like blow all of my savings on booking this trip or, you know, like I feel like I should share this thing on social media. Well, why? Because I've seen lots of other people sharing things recently and that's perhaps done well and maybe my ego is craving a little hit. And as soon as we get that information, we can then use that and then we can go, okay, actually, maybe what I'm seeking today is a little bit of comfort and I can get that comfort elsewhere. Or maybe what I'm seeking today is some connection and I don't have to get that via social media. I could get that by calling a friend and it gives us more information about what is actually going to make us feel good. I love that so much. And it's so simple. Yeah. Just the idea of saying, okay, why? Um, yeah. I'm going to have to apply that in my own life. That's just, I feel like the second you say that, um, you almost get that filter of, well, I don't really have to, or it's, it's not because I want, you know, that kind of thing almost sorts it out instantly. And that's what I laughed when I got to the part in your book where you were talking about goals. And I thought this was so perfect because we're kind of working our way toward that new year where people are maybe wanting to do their resolutions and their goals. And you were talking about how you used to set um, all these goals and you'd go hard and then crash. Yeah. Um, but I loved when I got to the heading that said, 
our brains don't know what's best for us. I was spewing those thoughts to my husband last night. We took like a a nighttime walk and I kept telling him this has been a big, I don't want to say battle, but it's been a battle for me to figure out how to not listen to my brain because we've just been told to listen to it so much. And I think, um, I was always a really creative kind of kid in school, the artsy kids. That's where I was good. Um, And school kind of made me feel like anyone who was getting the A's or doing better or was high, you know, um, high achieving was promised a better future. They were going to take off better. So to me, I thought like something's wrong with, with my brain. You know, maybe I was, I was more like intuitively led when I was younger but I started to learn that I should be listening to this brain more because that's what the smart kids are doing. And that's what people who are successful do. Um, so yeah, I giggled when I read that heading and I was like, oh good, she's going to pour some knowledge into me. Um, but do you want to talk on that? Like kind of, like you said, when you have those goals, we go really hard at them and then we crash. I think so many people can relate to that. Yes. I would say, you know, did you have a realization on how to start aligning with things that work for you and how to avoid that crash? Yeah. So there were a couple of things here that were really game changing for me. So one is actually like studying the science behind this stuff. So I um, went back to college a couple of years ago and I did a master's in positive psychology. And what I found so fascinating about studying that topic was there is so much rich information about what motivates us, what works, like how we sustain this stuff over time. And I think what I used to believe was that if I had enough willpower and determination, I would achieve the thing. And if I really wanted it, then, you know, I would be able to make it happen. And like you said, I would start every Monday or every new month or every new year thinking like, this is going to be the year that I learn Spanish and save loads of money and, you know, travel the world. And, And I'd make this big, long list of like, new habits I was going to adopt or new goals I was going to work towards. And then I would be, you know, perfect for maybe a week or two weeks and then life would happen. And I'd inevitably forget that I was going to go to the gym that day, or I like wouldn't log into Duolingo for a couple of days and wouldn't practice the Spanish. And, and what would happen every time I did that was that I would internalize that as, well, I failed and that means that I'm lazy or I'm unmotivated or I don't have enough determination or I I don't want this as much as other people. And that really started to chip away at my sense of self-worth and also my sense of belief that I could change things because I thought every time I've tried to make a change, it hasn't worked. So maybe I'm, you know, just not the right person to be able to do this. And what I learned from my studies were a few things. One is it really, really matters that we are setting the right goals. So we are really good at almost knowing intuitively when something isn't right for us and we will resist taking action on something that doesn't feel good to us. So I think, you know, with some of those previous goals deep down, I kind of knew this isn't what I want. This isn't the thing that's going to change my life. This isn't going to be the thing that brings me joy you know, I kind of knew that these things were shoulds and I was resisting taking action because of that. I think another thing that we often forget, and this has been a real game changer for me, is that we often look outside of ourselves for the answers as to how to achieve these goals or how to make these changes. So, you know, we think, okay, 2023, I want to get healthy. I'm going to go online and find a plan. 
and I'm going to have someone who can tell me how to do that. But that person is never going to know you as well as you know you. And so they might, you know, set you a plan, give you targets, ask things of you that don't fit with your routine, with your experience of life, with your priorities. And so therefore we we try and take on somebody else's plan. It doesn't work. And rather than sort of thinking, maybe that plan wasn't right for me. Again, what we say is, well, I did that wrong. I didn't try hard enough. I wasn't committed enough. And so Instead, I like to try and encourage people, and this is how I do it in my own life, is to set these things up as experiments, like be curious. So sort of think, okay, you know, if you, if we choose something that, you know, maybe someone might say, I want to experiment with getting up earlier and seeing if that helps me to feel more productive, rather than telling ourselves as of Monday, I always have to wake up at 5am and like do these things before work that feels very restrictive. That doesn't give any room for flexibility. It doesn't give any room for a bad night's sleep or, you know, a challenge happening. We're setting ourselves up to fail. Instead, we can set it up like an experiment and sort of say, I think if I get up earlier, I will feel more productive. I will feel like I've seized the day. I'm going to experiment with that for a couple of days and I'm going to notice. And what I like about framing it in that way is you can't fail at an experiment. You can only learn something about yourself. And, you know, we talked earlier on about how do we get back in touch? How do we rebuild that relationship with ourselves? And I found like this curious experiment approach, a really good way to do that, to just sort of think, I think this thing might work for me, or I've got an inkling that this might feel good. But if it doesn't feel good, that's okay. And so that, you know, that early morning one is an example from my own life. I thought I read, I can't remember if it's like the Miracle Morning or the 5am Club, one of those books that like the cult books that say getting up early changes your life. And I thought I'm going to read that and I'm going to do it. And actually for me, I just found that like by 3pm every day, I was ready for a nap and it was making me less productive because I was exhausted. But I learned something from that experiment, which was, you know, if I want to claw back extra time for myself, maybe it has to be at lunchtime or maybe it has to be after work in the evenings or maybe like 6am might be better than 5am for me. I didn't fail at getting up at 5am. I just learned some information that helps me to set a better goal or a better experiment the next time around. I love that. It's so kind of creepy that you say that literally so same thing i read a lot of really helpful get better bees more successful books and started waking up at five and i do love slow mornings waking up before everybody i learned that you know in my in my very long 5 a.m experience um experiment i I found like I really like being able to just slowly sip my coffee before my kids are awake. Yeah. I like taking the time to journal, all that stuff. But like you were saying, the 3 p.m. crash, I noticed, um, you know, come past dinner time, I was just finding myself useless yeah. where, you know, that's still I have still homework and we want to read with the kids before bed. And I was getting more agitated and irritated quickly at nighttime. Yeah. So I just for the first time set a a 6am alarm and said, if if I wake up before, then I wake up before and just allowing myself kind of that time. Um, and I, I'm really hoping that it's, that I see a change and just allowing myself to sleep rather than forcing myself awake at that 5am time. Um, yeah, because like, 
that, I, I it's really difficult for me to get up at that 5 a.m. It's it's a struggle and more and more, especially in the winter, I don't want to do it. So yeah, if and I don't have to, I won't. That's a really <laughs> great point around that flexibility. I think we expect ourselves to be like robots. We expect ourselves to do the same thing every single day. And yet, you know, like we're, I'm recording this from the UK as we talk, it's 4 p.m. and it's pitch black outside. It's so dark already. And so like naturally my body wants to like hibernate and take things slowly. And it's not as easy to be productive during these months as it is in like June when we have, you know, 20 hours of daylight a day and it's great and, you know, everything feels really abundant. And yet we forget that when we're planning our goals or when we're setting our expectations for ourselves. And I think so much of where we get in the way of our own joy is that we're just trying to to push against things that are natural. And we're trying to create environments for ourselves that don't perhaps feel very natural or very um, joyful to us. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And so, I mean, I know this is what your whole book is about, but I've actively worked to do the same thing in my life. Just find what feels fun was the word that I, you know, kind of went with find what feels fun, find what feels good. But there's that part, that programming, that brain idea we have, like, that's wrong, that's immature, that's naive, or, you know, that kind of thing. Um, I guess I would say, you know, do you have any advice for people who have that? Like, I want to do it feels fun, but I have grown up responsibilities to do, or, you know, I can't just chase every single dream that I want to do. You know, how do you help people find that balance of, we do have some real world responsibility, you know, we've got to pay our bills and we can't just take vacations whenever we want. Cause I think sometimes that was my idea of like YOLO living before was like doing whatever felt fun and like taking the vacations and going to the party and saying yes to every single thing that happens, you know, versus me now learning, finding what feels fun is what makes me feel calm in my body, makes me feel aligned. And I guess I would say, you know, still feels like I'm getting through my day um, in a productive, healthy way. You know, how do you kind of talk to people about that, finding the difference between finding balance in still being that grown up and allowing that joy to be a little bit more dictating of how you live your life. Yeah. I love that question. And there are two things that really come to my mind in response to that. First of all, I think is like what you already have started to allude to there is that we think sometimes, and we've been programmed through, you know, movies and adverts and all of these things that joy only lives in those big high moments. Like when we're on holiday, when we're taking the trip or at Christmas or when we've achieved something really big or when we're at a big fancy party. And we almost, I think, have this belief that to live a joyful life, we have to be go, go, go and happy and everything's great 24 seven. Joy actually lives in like the smallest moments. And even on the like worst of days, we can find usually a little bit of joy. And it might just be, you know, like you said earlier, taking that moment to sip your coffee, or it might be getting outside for 10 minutes, or it might be listening to your favorite podcast, or 
just being really present. And um, I don't have kids. I'm actually expecting my first at the moment. But my sister tells me like the most one of the most joyful things about having children is when you just tune in and like you're really present for their giggles or their like little funny things that they say or, you know, so there's so much joy available to us in the immediacy that we're just missing. And I often say to people like living a joyful life isn't about being happy and everything's great 24 seven. That's impossible. That's an unfair expectation to have of ourselves. It's about giving the good stuff an equal amount of attention as we give the bad stuff. And we're all really good at giving the bad stuff attention about worrying about how we'll pay the bills, worrying about what that person thinks of us, thinking about what the worst case scenario might be. Our brains are already really skilled at focusing on that stuff. For me, joyful living is about building the skill of focusing on the good stuff with an equal amount of attention. So celebrating the wins, being there for the stuff that is going well, enjoying the moment when everyone's peaceful and you're eating dinner and you're like, okay, it's been a crazy day, but now we've got this moment of calm. And so I think that's the first part of the answer to that question is noticing and accepting that leaning into what feels good doesn't have to mean like quit your job, YOLO, go and live in Bali. It can mean like taking the time to enjoy that coffee. It can mean actually wearing the favorite outfit instead of saving it for best. It can mean making 10 minutes to, you know, get outside in the middle of the day and feeling the warmth. Like that can be joy. The other thing that I think relates to what you asked is that is this idea of like, and again, it's that should, like I should feel responsible. I should be putting my energy into like being a grown up. And I, I see this really, um, it, and again, this is a bit of a like generalization, but I see it particularly with women is that we almost think it's selfish to prioritize joy. Like we have to take care of everybody else first. We have to get the laundry done first. We have to make sure everyone's been fed first and do our work and make sure that we look great and get our workout in. And we're like, once we've done all of those things, then we can get to joy. And one of the things that really changed the game for me was, again, learning some of the research around joy. What it tells us is that when we prioritize joy, all of the things in our life essentially get better. So joy is really great for boosting our immune system, helping us to feel healthier. The more positive emotions we experience, the healthier we tend to be. It's really great for improving our relationships because we compare less when we feel happy in our own lives. We have more patience for our our partners or our children. We have more compassion for our communities. Um, there's research that shows it makes us more successful at work because, you know, I used to always think successful people are happy because they're successful, but the research tells us it's the other way around. People who are happy in what they do day to day are more successful because of course, you know, when we're doing something we enjoy, there's this sense of flow and ease. And it doesn't mean that there aren't hard parts, but it's like so much ease. It's not like pushing water up a hill like it is when you're trying to go to a job that you hate every day. And for me, remembering that all of the things that I care most about get better when I prioritize my own joy, that acts as like a permission slip. It makes me realize it isn't selfish. And I know now from my own experience, because I've got this sort of like before joy and after joy, you know, comparison in my own life is that I am a much more present, 
wife, daughter, sister, you know, I have so much more like care for my community. I am very rarely ill because like I am doing the things that make me feel good. I am not like, you know, we know when we're stressed, when we're bent out, when we are at our wits end, we're not the best people for the people that we love. We don't have the most energy for the projects that we love. And so joy is essentially an investment in all of the things that we care about. And I see it now as, you know, an essential part, just like with our physical health, we all do things that, you know, help to promote good health. So we get enough sleep, we eat vegetables, we, you know, take exercise, we take vitamins, we do things that we think will help us to feel healthier. Prioritizing joy is essentially like how I do the same thing for my mental well-being and how I do the same thing for so that I can show up with the capacity that I want for the people that, that I care about. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Well, congratulations on baby number one making their way into the world. That's very exciting and tiring sometimes. Yes. <laughs> Definitely tiring. Hopefully it gives you that excuse to slow down. Yeah. Um, and I love that because like you said, just being present and tuning into those moments I was a stay-at-home mom for over a decade. So I did raise them and then was homeschooling them. And I would always try, especially when things were the craziest, um, just almost going like, and taking in each moment. Like I always use nap time as my example. I feel like I say it all the time, but we would always take naps together in my bed. So I'd have one of them on each side of me and I would just pause to like really appreciate that moment and all the love that was packed into that bed. Um, and doing that was so helpful. And I'm so thankful. I have a husband who I've shared this before, but he seems to find, he's really good at finding joy, um, where I wasn't. So for, you know, like if my daughter was maybe being a little sassy or throwing a little bit of a, not necessarily a tantrum, but maybe talking back a little bit, but he would kind of laugh at her sass and he does the same for me where he appreciates that <laughs> that fight that we have and in seeing his perspective like seeing his face and seeing how he responded to it I started to really appreciate hers and I appreciated that he appreciated my you know yeah. even in those times where things felt hard and frustrating I think finding ways to just go this doesn't need to be as serious as I you know this this can be a funny moment right now um and I loved in your book, I said, I'm a very visual learner. So I loved how you have so many diagrams and journal prompts throughout. Like it's such a perfect way for people to learn, um, you know, actually reading, learning, visual learning. Um, I love how you have like little blurbs broken up throughout the book. Just so, you know, even if people are scanning, they get little tidbits where they can. Cause I know not everybody, um, you know, has the concentration and the focus to sit and read so much. Just the more I've heard about people in the ADHD community or my own husband, who's like, he wants to read, but he just can't get himself to focus long enough. I love how your book is broken up because I think it really helps people feel the joy when you turn the page because there's so much color and so much diagram. But I, um, again, it was really early on into the book. I was like, oh, it just helps so much. And kind of like we're talking about, or like you were saying, where you have like your input and output, like make sure you are giving back to yourself enough when you're yeah. giving, giving back out. And it seems so simple putting it just in a little diagram form like that, where 
you know, versus just trying to go, okay, am I giving and giving enough? Am I giving and getting enough? Is there a balance there? Versus like actually writing out, like I did this for me today. And then I, you know, did this for work today. I did this for me. I did show up for my kids here, that kind of thing. That's just, um, that's great. And I, I love that you included all of those throughout. Yeah. Thank you. And yet the, the team, like, cause creating a book, you know, I've written the words, but there is this whole team that bring together, like how it looks and, you know, how we structure it and format it. And it has been such a lovely experience to learn from those people who are, like you say, the expert in how do we hold attention? How do we convey this? How, like, what are the most important messages that we want to get across? And that idea of thinking of that balance between what energizes us and what drains us was, for me, something that felt really important to get across. It sounds like such a simple thing. I often use the analogy of like, you know, if you're going on a road trip, you're going to go and make sure that your car has enough fuel to take you on that road trip. We would always, that'd be the first thing you check is like, okay, I need to drive X amount of miles. What do I need in terms of energy in the tank to, to help us make that journey? And yet we often do the opposite in our own lives. When life gets really busy and stressful and, you know, we're, as we're recording this, we're approaching Christmas and what I'm seeing lots of people do is think there are all of these demands being made of me. There are all of these things I need to do. I'm just going to keep going, keep going, keep going. And then I'll recharge and I'll refuel during the Christmas break. But what happens then is we've already reached that point of burnout. We've already gone too far. You know, just like if you were trying to drive your car with no gas in it, you would cause some serious problems and there would, you know, the engine would fail or like something would burn out. The same happens in our bodies and our brains. We can't keep going and going and going without topping up with, you know, we can, but it causes that burnout and it causes that, that extra stress on us. And I think that's why so many people, you know, make it to the holiday season and they get ill or they like yes. feel really blue come January. You know, we have this big crash and it's because we've tried to just expend all of this energy and joy is a really great way of just putting that energy back in the tank and just going, okay, you know, and it, it doesn't have to always necessarily be like your typical self-care stuff. Sometimes it might be what is going to give me energy is talking to a friend and hearing their laugh or what is going to give me energy is just like a little bit of quiet time. And like, I know it feels sometimes like, you know, like doing odd little chores around the house that might feel like something that is a demand or is taking energy, but that fills me up because I'm like, okay, I know everything's back in its right place. And like, everything feels calm again. And it, it will be different for all of us, but almost knowing and acknowledging the things that like boost our mood and the things that boost our energy and not abandoning those things to, to be in complete service to everything else. Because ultimately all we do is we prolong that crash and it's coming for us. It's just like, you know, coming perhaps at a later date. Yeah. So I love that you said that. Cause that's what I was, I was thinking this cause I'm like this, I've been like this. I know friends like this where they want to prior. It's almost like, um, sometimes prioritizing self-care can just become another part of the thing I should do. Yeah. You know, so someone who's like, I have to take my 10 minutes and meditate and I'm going to go to the gym and I'm going to do it for a half an hour. And I'm going to go sit outside and get my sunshine, check, check, check. And it can just become yeah. another thing that we, almost can create the burnout because we're not doing it in alignment. So is there any 
sort of words of wisdom you'd give to people for how to find out if it's just another should self-care or if it's actual self-care, how to find out what actually works for you. Yeah. I think this comes back to that point we were talking about earlier on in that it won't be the same thing every day because we're not robots. And so if you've had a really sleepless night with your kids, maybe the thing you really need is a nap. Whereas if actually you've had a, a day of like, you felt really like busy at work, maybe what you need is like half an hour with your family to, to recharge. And so a little tool or a little exercise that I recommend to people to help us sort of check in and again, build that relationship with ourselves is in the morning when we wake up to ask ourselves, how do I feel out of 10 today? And what is something that I could do that could move that score up by one point? So we're not asking ourselves to be 10 out of 10 because on some days, 10 out of 10 doesn't feel realistic. But what we are doing is asking ourselves and like remembering the importance of doing something that makes us feel a little bit better. So it might be, you know, I wake up, I feel a three out of 10 because I've got just like so much running around my mind at the moment. But if I take like 10 minutes to go for a walk outside, that might make me feel like a four out of 10. Or it might be, I wake up and I'm an eight out of 10. I feel quite energetic. Things are going well. What's going to help me get to a nine out of 10 is like connecting with my family or like calling a friend I haven't spoken to for a while and feeling that sense of connection. It's going to be different things each day. What we need is always going to change. And I think, again, that's where we sometimes fall into that trap of thinking that there is a perfect routine or there is a perfect plan that is going to help us like suddenly feel brilliant all of the time. There just isn't. Like we know naturally some days we want to eat vegetables. Some days we want to eat like all of the chocolate, you know, some days we are brimming with energy and we want to go for a long run. And some days like a gentle, like walk is, is what we need, but we often override those signals that our bodies and our brains are giving us because we think there is a plan or there is a perfect way to approach things that is going to you know, be, be better than just listening to ourselves. And so that little exercise of checking in, I think it helps us to know kind of what the self-care is that day that we actually need. And like you say, some days it will, it will be meditation and quiet time and, you know, that space to think and breathe. And other days, actually the kindest thing that we can do for ourselves is watch Netflix or like, you know, just go to bed early or, you know, call someone and have a little rant down the phone. And that's actually what we need. And it's noticing that act of noticing and giving ourselves what we need in the same way that, you know, you would notice and give a toddler what they need. That is like the ultimate self-care, I think. It's meeting our own needs. And it's quite radical, especially like, you know, in this day and age when we're told that meeting everybody else's needs is so much more important. Oh, absolutely. And so I know you were saying, you know, like when we prioritize joy, everything else just kind of seems to fit. And then, you know, talking about the goal setting, when you mentioned choosing, like sometimes we want vegetables, sometimes we want chocolate. That is something I think, especially as women and definitely in America is like, um, no, no, no chocolate. Shouldn't have chocolate. Do you think if more and more people just ate the chocolate, you know, like today I'm just, oh, I want chocolate. I'm going to eat chocolate rather than like, no, 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 holding it off. And then chowing down and eating all the chocolate. (laughs) If we just gave ourselves that permission and that peace to do the things that we feel are right for us in that moment, that 
that balance would kind of be restored, you know, whether it came to eating or or anything else. Yeah, I think what's really important about that is it's that listening to the signals that we have already got. And when we ignore those signals, they don't go away. They're still there. They just compound. And that's why we know, right, you know, like heading towards January, We've probably all had that experience of 1st of Jan, we think I'm going to cut out the carbs and I'm going to eat, you know, always like eat vegetables and I'm going to, you know, not drink and I'm going to do this and that. And then we get to maybe like the 15th or the 16th of January and we're raiding the aisles for all of the like sweet treats we love because we, we haven't got rid of that signal that is telling us like we want a little bit of pleasure. We want a little bit of joy. We've just pushed it down and we've compounded it. And I think it's the same, you know, it, it, it's this all or nothing approach, I think, that we often have. And I, when I think back to my like my previous life, when I spent every day working a job that I didn't enjoy, and I was constantly trying to keep up with other people, and my money was spent on things that weren't even that important to me, I craved these like big trips. I felt like I've got to like book a big, like exciting trip somewhere. And I've always got to have a vacation in the diary and know that I can like be checking out of work and going and doing this exciting thing. And I thought that that was the answer to, you know, me feeling happier was to have these things. What I noticed when I started to like find joy in every day is I don't crave that so much anymore. Like I still enjoy travel and we still, you know, take the odd trip, but it doesn't feel like my happiness depends on whether we have something to look forward to or not, because I enjoy every day. And I think the same can be true with like our diets or with how we approach, you know, other, other goals is if what we're telling ourselves is I'm going to be happy when I've lost 10 pounds or when I look a certain way and we're going to sacrifice all this joy in the process, we're always going to feel like we need something on the horizon to like work towards and feel good. And it's very rare that, you know, wearing an outfit at that one thing or going for that one meal out is going to satiate that craving in us because we're wired to want a little bit of joy every day. We're wired to want, you know, to experience life in a positive way. And I think that for me is, is as anyone is thinking about, you know, next year and, and approaching a new year or approaching goals is to think about not sacrificing the short-term joy because any joy that we sacrifice in the short term is joy we can't get back. You know, I often talk about how, you know, we think sometimes if I just hustle, if I just achieve this thing, if I just reach this goal as quickly as possible, on the other side of it, I'm going to be really happy. But A, we're never as happy as like we think we're going to be as a result of achieving that goal. You know, it, we overestimate as humans. And B, we've sacrificed so much in that process. You know, by the time we're six months in the future, your kids are going to be six months older and they've changed and you will never get that time back. Or, you know, your family makeup might have changed or people might have moved away or another curveball might have come your way. And we only have the the day-to-day -day stuff. And I think that's where, you know, like I think so many times when I've been on diets and people have said like, do you want to come out for dinner? Or like, should we go and get an ice cream? And I've said, no, no, like I'm being good. I'm not going to do that. And I think I can't go back and have that moment. I can't go back and have that lovely dinner with friends or the walk around the lake having an ice cream. Like they might have been memories that became really important that I denied myself because 
I thought, you know, I had to be this perfect person. And, and ultimately that perfection doesn't exist. Like all that we have got is the day ahead of us and the opportunity to make the best of that. I love that so much. And as you're saying that, I'm sitting here thinking, okay, hmm. because in my old life, <laughs> same thing in my old, in our little townhouse, when my children were little, I, I say this thing where I'm like, I pause and absorb the moments with my babies. But I, that really wasn't the case for me in, in our townhouse. So I, I, a story I tell a lot about is we moved from a townhouse to our big dream house. And when we got to our dream house, it was like, it was everything I wanted. It was everything I had been chasing. And I was like, this really isn't great. <laughs> I don't really like this or, and, or that kind of feeling like I thought this is where happy was supposed to happen. I thought yeah. this is where happiness was. And it's, it's doesn't feel like it's here. Um, and I think back to that townhouse, I was always like chasing the next thing, chasing the next thing, looking for the next sale, updating our house, trying to find the next best house. I was never present for those, yeah. those moments with my kids. I mean, I was there, but I wasn't really pausing. And because I was always um, chasing, 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 trying to look for the next thing to make me happy, kind of like you're saying, rather than just choosing joy in the little moments, I was always looking for the next thing, which led to like overspending on shopping and things like that. And I remember this time where my friends said, we're going on a trip to Costa Rica. And I had no money because I had spent it all on just chasing those, the next best thing, the next best thing. And whenever I see a picture of all of them in Costa Rica, or whenever they mention it, part of me just sinks. And I, I am sad for the loss that, that me who was so busy chasing and chasing, like oh, I missed out on that moment or even in that moment, maybe I could have afforded it, but I told myself, oh, that's too much. I can't afford that. But then I would go out and spend, you know, just yeah. carelessly on whatever thing, because I was so busy looking for the next bout of happiness. Um, and, and I'm really thankful to have gotten to this point where I'm slowly continuing to learn the lessons. Um, but that's absolutely great. That just makes my heart feel so happy. And I hope everyone listening can really take that to heart and just finding, yeah, finding joy rather than thinking it's in the next step or it's a, another step away because then we, you never really get there. Yeah. And the, there can be a duality to it as well. I think there can be, there is joy in this moment and I hope there's more joy in the future. You know, we all look forward to, I'm sure with your kids, you think once they get to this age, that's going to be really exciting because we're going to get to do this sort of thing together. Or like once they're, they're grown up, like, you know, me and my husband might do this sort of thing. And, and we can have those hopes and those dreams for the future and also savor where we are. And I think that's something that we forget sometimes is we get so invested in the future that we forget to savor the the stuff in the in the here and now. And I think for me, and I, I wonder if the same is is true for you, part of my experience of coming to this work after a loss is that when I look back and I think about, you know, the person who I lost, the moments that I miss aren't like, oh, well, like they should have been here at my wedding day or they should have been here for this big moment. It's like, it's the little hugs. It's like feeling the their presence. It's like the small, you know, the, like a lot of people talk about, um, you know, it's like the texts that they used to send me that used to really drive me mad. But like, actually now I really miss the way that they used to do funny text speak or 
I miss like the way they used to slam the door when they got out the car or like those things that are just these small moments in our day to day. It's so easy to take them for granted, but they're such important parts of life. And sometimes it's only the abs in the absence of them that we realize how important they are. And I think a big part of trying to be present is just remembering like nothing is permanent. Everything is always changing. And sometimes things change for the better. Sometimes things change for the worse, but it's always different. And so all we can do is savor the right now. We can't plan for a perfect future because none of us know like what, what the next, you know, if we look back at the last few years, we didn't expect life to unfold as it has. And so it's, it's that, I think trying to find that better balance between, of course, like sometimes like we want to save for future goals or we want to work towards things or we have things that we want to achieve, but not letting that be the all, you know, not letting that be everything and not sacrificing what is here right now in the process. Right. Don't sacrifice now for later, you know? <laughs> oh, thank you so much, Sophie. This has been such a heartfelt joyful <laughs> talk of what can people do? You know, where can they find your book? Where can they find you if they want to continue this? Cause I definitely recommend everyone pick up the book. I think it's like a, it's like a mini joy Bible. I feel like, um, for each individual person, it's a, you've done a good job of making it individualized so that each person can tap into their own forms of joy. And I love that. Yeah. Oh, thank you. That is really what I wanted to achieve. I, I didn't want to write one of those books like we were talking about earlier where you think I should do this or I should do that. And, you know, then we end up failing it. I wanted to give people the tools to to create that that joy in their own life. And so the book is called Choose Joy um, by myself, Sophie Cliff. It's available pretty much everywhere. So, um, you know, it's on Amazon, it's in Barnes and Noble. You can order it from an independent retailer. And then in terms of the rest of my work, I'm at Sophie Cliff over on Instagram and my website is sophiecliff.com. And I also have um, a podcast where I share sort of short, snappy episodes each week. It's called Practical Positivity and it does what it says on the tin. It gives us the practical tools that we need to invite more joy and positivity into our week. So those little reminders to not get too focused on the future and instead to to be present here. And I would, yeah, really love to connect with anyone who has enjoyed this or, or resonated with this conversation. Oh, thank you so much. I definitely think everyone could benefit from that. I love that you've done the just the quick little moments of take a breath and enjoy this this single moment here. So thanks so much for joining me today. I'm glad we were able to connect. Uh, and I look forward to I'm ready to finish the book. I'm still in the middle of it because I'm going through all the, the prompts and everything. Um, and hopefully can connect with you in the future. Yeah, thank you so much for having me and for all of your like really thoughtful questions. It's been so lovely to chat. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, Sophie. Hey again, thanks so much for hanging out with me today on the Unstuffed Podcast. It means so much that you chose to carve out some of your precious time just to hang out with me. If you aren't quite ready for our time to end, head to the show notes where you can grab my free declutter checklist, join my newsletter subscription, and connect with me on some of your favorite social platforms. Sending you so much love. Until next time.